Uh-oh. We have no idea what he said. What did God say to Elijah? All right, I guess we'll have to fix it. All right, so good morning. Um, I have no idea what God said to Elijah, so you're going to have to find that video. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I am very glad to be able to speak to you uh, today. We have a lot of prophets in the, in the Old Testament that um, we could go through. And today we're going to look at one specific prophet and uh, what he was asked to do, which was actually very, very uh, significant uh, as it relates to God's people and what God was trying to teach and to tell uh, his people. Uh, I, I, last night I was praying with my son. He's four years old and his name's Cohen. So we're praying and I said, Cohen, I'm speaking tomorrow. Can you just pray for me that Jesus would give me all the words that he wants me to say and that I'll say them? And he goes, Daddy, just look in the Bible. That'll give you all the stuff you need. <laughs> so I spent all night redoing my message because I didn't even think of that. So, so let's just thank Cohen right now because whatever was going to happen before would not have been good. Um, no, it was so cute. I was like, dude, that's pretty cool. So, um, but I was born in 1978. I know that doesn't make me too old to most of you, uh, uh, to some of you, but I, I consider myself a 90s kid, even though I was born in 1978. All the things that I think of are from the 90s, uh, the music, the grunge scene. I was all into the grunge scene in the 90s. Uh, all the TV shows that I think of when I think of like the most, you know, the classic TV shows, they come from the 90s. Now, I have to admit, though, there isn't really a decade that owns the market on movies quite like the 80s. I kind of put together a list of, of movies uh, that come out of the... I'm just going to rip through them just so you can kind of see. All these, all these movies came out of the 80s. The Karate Kid, The Breakfast Club, Home Alone, E.T., Back to the Future, Indiana Jones, The Goonies, The Goonies. Follow them size fives. Ghostbusters, The Princess Bride, Terminator, Beetlejuice, National Lampoon's Vacation, Gremlins. Who knows Gremlins? Please, all right, good. Jesus is alive and well. All right. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Top Gun. Die Hard. Dirty Dancing. Nobody puts baby in a corner. <laughs> Kim Ludwig's favorite, The Never-Ending Story, which it's not really, but I had to throw that in there. Airplane, Batman, and Big. It also, has, it also gave us two of uh, the Star Wars series, the, the uh, original three, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Now, that's a pretty impressive list. I'm sure that most of you know all of them because the 80s produced some really amazing movies. Um, I'm sure that there are some in there that you're like, how did you not think of that? How did that, how did this movie, whatever you're thinking of, you're like, how did that not even make his list? Um, deal with it because there's too many to put on the list. Uh, however, while the 80s owned the market in movies, I think the 90s owned the market in TV sitcoms. Has to be. Um, I'm going to throw some pictures up. Let's see if you guys can guess which 90s TV show this is. Ready? Friends, good. All right. You're good at this. All right. Let's go to the next one. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Mm-hmm. Yep. Did you heard the Carlton dance? Did anyone remember the Carlton dance? Yeah. Who wants to do the Carlton dance for us right now? Anyone? Jim Bacardo, please don't, don't raise your hand. Lord Jesus, right now, take control of Jim's heart. Um, all right. Let's go to the next one. Saved by the Bell. Someone in here knows their 90s TV shows. Remember Screech, Saved by the Bell? Supposedly, I read an artic article that Screech was one of the most difficult people to work with on the show, that on the set, he was very hard to work with, uh, dem almost demanding at times. So that's kind of interesting. The, the nerdiest kid on the show was one of the most difficult to work with. Uh, the next one. Full House. Some of you are getting all nostalgic. <laughs> All right, next one. Yes. 
Yes. 90210. Very good. All right, next one. By the way, they are still making episodes. This is the longest running series of any TV show right here, The Simpsons, um, which is interesting. So the next one. Home Improvement. That guy, you never saw the guy's face behind the fence, ever. They never showed you. So frustrating. Okay, next one. Family Matters. Good job. All right, this one might be a little bit more obscure, so it's gonna, might, this might take some of you out, out of the race here. Okay, the next one. Bill Nye. Bill, whoa! Wow. Very nice. All right, and then the next one. Boy Meets World. They're coming back with another one. Boy Meets World or Girl Meets Boy or something like that. Mike Collin would kill me for not knowing it because it's probably his favorite thing in the world right now. But... um. So, so good. Now, just so I don't get fired, I had to put one more in there that had to that come out, comes out of the nineties. Let's, let's show the last one. Okay. Just, just had to keep my job security intact. So, cause that's our pastor's favorite show. I think out of every series, every time he does a message, at least one out of every three, there's a Seinfeld reference somewhere in his message. So I figured if I'm going to keep my job, I better put one of them, his favorite nineties shows in there. Uh, but however, while we were sitting on our couches, enjoying these amazing, um, awesome, completely cheesy, uh, TV shows throughout the nineties, evil hit the news in 1991 that would literally rock our world. So we're sitting in front of the TV, we're, we're watching these TV, we're laughing our heads off. These things are, are, are they're, they're, they're just crazy funny shows. Um, in fact, they're still one of the most best sold DVD sets uh, still when people get Christmas gifts. They're still buying these sets. Um, they're still on sale. They're still on Amazon. And um, they're, they're great hits for people because uh, it's just a nostalgic thing. People are still into these shows. And so, um, but there's a person that hit our TV show that, or hit, hit our TVs that we weren't really sure what to do with, and his name was Jeffrey Dahmer. And when Jeffrey Dahmer, we'll see a picture, um, and maybe you'll recognize, when Jeffrey Dahmer hit our TVs, our TVs, it was shocking. Something happened within our country that we just couldn't understand. Now, it's not uncommon for thieves and murderers in prison to encounter God. That's not an uncommon thing. We have prison ministries. We have things that reach out to people um, in prisons to help them understand the gospel. But this day was going to be different. The villain who attracted God's love was a man who killed, had sex with, dismembered, and had eaten portions of his uh, victims. Reviled as the epitome of human depravity, in fact, people weren't even comfortable using the word human to describe him, Jeffrey Dahmer was a whole new category of evil in American society. Hadn't we grown past this? This was something that barbarians did way back in the day. We just couldn't understand how this could happen. However, what happened in 1994 even surpassed the craziness of Jeffrey Dahmer's crimes because of what happened to him. Um, while he was in prison, Dahmer gave an interview. And in that interview, he, he kind of said in passing, um, in one little comment, he said, I wish I could find inner peace. In all the things that I've done and all the ways that I've hurt people, I wish there was still a way for me to find inner peace. And there was a, a woman named Molly Mott who heard this interview and she thought to herself, I know how you can find inner peace. I know exactly how you can find inner peace. So she sent him a bunch of Bible studies, stacks of them, Bible studies, to Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer receives from this woman, doesn't, never met her, doesn't know her from anyone. Sends, he sends her, she sends him Bible studies. So he, go, he rips through them, he reads through them. He sends her a letter in the mail saying, I've read through all your Bible studies, will you send me more? 
So she sent him some more. Well, now there's, so, so she realizes, man, something's going on. She gets this letter back. He wants more. So she, she decides to take the next step. She calls a local pastor that's near the prison. His name was Roy Ratcliffe. So she calls Pastor Roy. She says, Pastor Roy, I know that you live near this prison where Jeffrey Dahmer is um, imprisoned. And I would, I just want to tell you, I've sent him Bible studies. He seems to have really gotten into him. He's asked me to send him more. Would you consider going and preaching the gospel to him and just seeing where his heart is? I don't think so. I don't really know what to do with a person who does the kind of things that Jeffrey Dahmer does. So, uh, but the pastor hesitantly agrees. He, he's kind of skeptical about it. You know, oh, Molly's probably just, you know, uh, good, good job, Molly. You know, we'll, we'll try to go save the cannibalist. We'll figure out how to do it. Um, but so Dahmer, so, so Roy goes to the prison. He visited Dahmer told him the good news of Jesus, answered his questions. They went through a Bible study. And in that first meeting that Roy, Pastor Roy had with Jeffrey Dahmer, he leads him to the Lord. Jeffrey Dahmer says, I am ready. I, I, I acknowledge what I've done. I acknowledge the things that I've done wrong. I take full responsibility for them. And I want to repent. And I want God to, to, to save me. That doesn't make sense in our minds. Because he comes back and he, he says, now, now he says, he tells people that this had happened, but Dahmer's bloodstained hands, blood hands were now clean by the washed, by, washed by the blood of Jesus. All the acts of murder, pedophilia, necrophilia, and cannibalism were forgiven. Seven months later, Dahmer was killed by an inmate with a broomstick. And now, as far as we know, he's still celebrating his redemption with Jesus in heaven. So here's this thing. We have a word that we call what, just ha- what happens to Jeffrey Dahmer. It's called grace. It's called grace. And for some reason, I think that I, have, I would put myself in the position of sometimes I think grace has grown stingy with me. I forget how lavishly God's grace was for me because I, I look at myself and I say, I'm not like a Jeffrey Dahmer. I don't do the things that Jeffrey Dahmer does. And so I should, I don't, I, I don't, I'm not as bad as a Jeffrey Dahmer. And so but the, the fact is, is that my sin stinks just as bad as Jeffrey Dahmer's. So uh, I'm going to, this guy Preston Sprinkle uh, writes this book uh, about grace, and in the preface, he says this. He says, grace is a dangerous topic. We often want to domesticate it, calm it, and stuff it into a blue blazer and a pair of khakis. But biblical grace doesn't like to settle down. It doesn't drive a minivan, and sometimes it even misses church. To prove this, we're going to venture on a journey across the land of Israel, and I'm not bringing a pacifier. If you need to scream, I'll roll down the window. If you need to get off the next town, sorry, the doors are locked. Grace is a dangerous topic because the Bible is a dangerous book. It wrecks people, it offends people, and it's tough to read from the suburbs. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the kind of grace that the Bible talks about. The real deal, life-shattering, ego-busting grace. The kind of grace that's going to rock our world if we allow it to. And the kind of grace that when we allow it to flow out of us, will rock other people's world. But for some reason, the longer we walk, the more we forget that we required and we needed that kind of grace. And that was the kind of grace that was lavishly poured on us. See, some of us are uncomfortable with Dahmer's salvation story because, well, it's offensive. No one should receive a free gift, a get-out-of-jail-free card that commits those le- that level of atrocities, Right? How could someone that just that, that simply does the acts, the evil acts that a Jeffrey Dahmer does, how can he just have some guy come to him, preach a gospel message to him, and then say, okay, I want to be forgiven, and then he is? It can't be that easy. Imagine it now. Now, it might be easy for us who might be on the inside of God's grace to understand that, but can you imagine if you were the victim, uh, the, the mem- members of the families of the victims of the 17 me- young men that 
Jeffrey Dahmer did those horrible things to? Can you imagine if, if they hear the, the, the news that Jeffrey Dahmer is now at peace? That Jesus has forgiven him for his horrible crimes? I don't know if that would settle too, too well. That, that, that instead of suffering, instead of being tormented with his crimes, he is now feels safe and secure in, in, in his new uh, place in heaven. It almost seems unjust. Dahmer's living it up on streets of gold? Can't be. Can't be. A man like Jeffrey Dahmer does not deserve streets of gold. You're absolutely right. He does not. The, the, the fact is, though, neither do we. That's the truth. The truth is that Jeffrey Dahmer doesn't deserve it, and the truth is that neither do we. And so we're going to see something pretty powerful happen in the life of one of God's prophets. Um, his vile soul, um, we believe, needs to be rotting in an eternal fire of suffering, but it's not. It's because Jesus did something amazing. Sprinkle is right. Preston Sprinkle is, 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 is right on. Grace is dangerous. Grace is offensive. At least the biblical kind is. You see, in Dahmer's case, grace isn't the issue. We are. Now, you try to throw a leash on grace, and the book of Hosea will snap it. When you try to domesticate grace uh, or put walls around it, Hosea doesn't even pay attention to them. Hosea looks at those kind of things and laughs at them and says, you, I, you can't even believe the kind of grace that's going to be thrown out in this kind of stuff. Um, another thing that in, that in that preface that I read before from Preston Sprinkle, it says, uh, grace rolls into town on a Harley and uh, wears leather. That's the kind of grace that God pours out. It offends a lot of people. In fact, it, that's its intent. Grace, God's grace, listen to this, God's grace, when he gives it away so lavishly, um, and the story we're about to hear in the Bible is to wake up a sleeping nation who has completely turned its back on God, the God who loved, served, and saved them. That's what we're going to read. Someone... Um, Someone once described Hosea like this. If you want to read this book in Sunday school, you're going to have to neuter it first. It's that, it's that offensive. It's that, it's that deep and it's that powerful. So let's get into it. Hosea 1, 2. Ready for this? When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute. Back the truck up. What? I'm sorry. Excuse me? I didn't, I don't think I heard that right. Marry who? A prostitute. Okay, so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. Okay, now it's, I thought it might get better, but it's not. Uh, this will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. God is going to use Isaiah to basically call his people spiritual prostitutes who have left him, left his caring and loving hands, his arms of embrace for other gods, of false gods, and to love and give them, and give them their attention. Now, notice this is the second verse of the first chapter. If you like a good fictional book, you need some character development, right? I mean, when you read a fictional book, there's like pages and chapters of developing characters and, and, and giving you an idea of who they were when they grew up and what their life was like so that when something crazy happens, you actually care. You're like, oh, no, not that person. That they were so nice. I didn't want that to happen. We don't get none of that. We have the very second verse of the very first chapter. We get right in to the, to the thick of things. Um, so so it's, pretty, it's pretty easy to see that this is going to go somewhere pretty strong and that God has a very clear um, point that he wants to make. Now, let me just say that if Cohen ever comes home and says, Hey, Dad, I, I heard from God, and he wants me to marry a prostitute. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at him and go, yeah, but he does things differently, and he already did that once. So he doesn't do things the same way twice. It's kind of like lightning. 
So, sorry, bro, but I guess you can't do that. Um, I, I'm hoping that, that he'll never come home and, and tell me that. Um, let's just put it that way. So in all honesty, um, I'm really glad that Hosea got the call back in the day so I can use him as my excuse um, against Cohen. So thanks for taking one for the team, Hosea. Uh, now, now, it's not exactly recorded how Hosea responded. Uh, was he outraged? I mean, he, he's, he's followed the call. Um, he, he's gonna, he, you know, is he outraged that, that he, he's going to do this? Is he outraged that God would call him for this? Is he humbled by the noble task? Is he like, wow, God, you're, you're really trusting me with a big deal here. This is, this is significant. Maybe, maybe, there's, maybe there's humility and he's, he's excited about it. Um, but he's a prophet. How would people listen to him if he's married to a prostitute? Right? I mean, he's a prophet. He's supposed to tell the truth about who God is. He's supposed to live a godly life. He's supposed to have godly children with a godly wife. Isn't that how it should play out? I mean, let's face it. If you're a pastor in today's world and you go and marry a prostitute, I don't think she's going to lead to many Beth Moore studies. Right? I mean, she's, she's not really going to be looked at as the go-to person in your church for, um, for help. She, she's, she's broken, she's wounded, and, and she's, she's got a lot of things um, going on. And so, now, can God redeem that? Absolutely. Can God, can God uh, move us into a new place in life? Absolutely. And that's what he's trying to show his people. He's trying to show his people that no matter how far away you walk away, I'm always going to take you back. You've walked, you've walked as far away from me as you can possibly walk, just like Hosea um, is going to illustrate in how his wife will walk from him. This is uncharted territory with some significant ramifications. But ultimately, Hosea says yes. Let's look at Hosea 1.3. So Hosea married Gomer. Gomer! The, her name's Gomer! Could he pick a better... Couldn't it be like a normal name? Gomer? How do you introduce them to your family? Hey guys, here's my new girlfriend. Gomer. Kind of sounds like a Muppet. Sorry about that. But that's who God called me to marry. The daughter of Deblame. And she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. So, okay. If Cohen came home and told me he wants to marry a prostitute, I might be able to get past that. Okay, maybe, God, maybe God's going to do something new. But if he tells me her name's Gomer, I'm, I'm, I'm locking him up. Locking him in the door. I'm saying, bro, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can be down with that. Um, you got to put your foot down somewhere. Uh, you know, so either way, Hosea cowboys up and he marries her. Um, Gomer, the unlovable, Gomer, the unwanted, Gomer, the used, um, and abused grace wouldn't be diluted into a Christian buzzword for Hosea. There's no way that, that grace could be used flippantly for Hosea from this point forward. Grace was going to mean something. Grace was going to be deeply rooted in Hosea's heart because of what he was being called to do for the nation of Israel. Um, now, we don't know much about their marriage uh, other than that they had three children together. Uh, then in chapter 3, we see Gomer again, only something happened. She's no longer with Hosea. So somewhere between chapter 1 then chapter 2 is this big, long prayer, uh, God's rebuke. And then uh, we see in chapter 3, it comes back to their relationship. But no longer is Hosea, um, or no longer is Gomer with Hosea. Listen to this, Hosea 2, 1 through 2 says, Then the Lord said to me, Go and love your wife again even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. So I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. Isn't that crazy? She le- it, I, this is insane. Hosea s- saves her from her life of whoredom, Yet Gomer goes right back into it. 
Now, we don't know if this was a, we don't really know how she left. Maybe she left in a bitter rage. Maybe she stormed out the door and never came back. Maybe this was a normal occurrence in their house. Maybe there's a lot of, con- we don't know. Maybe there was conflict. And one point she just left and never came back. Maybe she snuck out in the middle of the night. Maybe unbeknownst to Hosea, she sneaks out and Hosea wakes up and there she's not there and she, he's not really sure where she went, doesn't leave a note. Uh, you know, we don't really know how this, trans, how, how this transpires. All we know is at one point they're together. God, Hosea follows the call of God, marries a prostitute named Gomer, and, and they're together as an illustration to, the, to, the, to God's people that this is something that you're going to have to deal with, that you have left me, and now she's gone. And now he's asking him to go back and get her again. So he, first he marries her, then she leaves. Now he's going to have to go get her again. Let me read one commentator's view on this. Hosea's scandalous, shameless, one-way love for his unlovable whore of a wife is a mere snapshot of God's grace toward us. While we were still whores, Christ eagerly climbed up on the cross to redeem us from the slave market. Oh, dude, that is deep stuff. While we were still walking around loving everything other than God, while we were chasing after everything there was on this planet that gave itself to us, calling our names, looking so good to our eyes, um, being so desirous to us apart from him, he didn't leave us. He didn't abandon us. He didn't forsake us. He kept relentlessly chasing after us. And he did it so much that he, he had to kill his son in order to redeem us. And he chose to do it out of his great love for us. I love it. While we were still sinning, while we were in the middle of sinning, the Bible says Christ came and died for us. It wasn't while we were good. It wasn't while we were with him. It wasn't while we were following him. It was while we weren't that he came to gather us back. I love it. Now, did you catch, did you catch the most gripping part of this story? Remember what I said earlier. This story isn't ultimately about um, Jose and Gomer. It's about God, us, and grace. God, us, and grace. It's about God, his people, and the grace that he was pouring out. He was just using Gomer and Hosea as an illustration to prove that point. Old Testament prophets were God's instruments in shocking his people into action and out of spiritual lethargy. Now, let me, let, usually when God would send a prophet, they came with gloom and doom. They're coming with, you're messing up a lot and God is going to have to punish you. If you don't stop what you're doing, bad things are going to happen. That's basically the job of a prophet. I, if there was ever a time when someone was like, all right, we're fil- all right um, if you would like to be a prophet, all we need you to do is go to our website and fill out this form. And, um, and you, you'll, you'll can come in and we'll have an interview with you and we'll figure out if you can be a prophet. No one would sign up because what you're asked to do is basically go tell people how bad they are and how much punishment is coming. And no one really likes when people do that. Would you, I don't know if anyone in here would appreciate someone coming to your house and going, Hey, I just wanted to let you know that your life is a train wreck right now. And um, what's going to happen is God is going to punish you because um, you are living a, a life completely apart from him. And so I just want to let you know that uh, your life is in danger. And so you might want to shape up. Okay, thanks, bye. Can you, you'd be like, can I come, come here. I want to I hurt you really bad. Come here. I, I have some words for you, my friend. Uh, but that's basically what a prophet was called to do. They were called to go and tell people the bad news um, of what they were doing in order that God could present them with the good news of what he was going to do for them. In spite of their um, abandonment of who God was, in spite of their walking away from God, he would always 
relentlessly chase after them, which we see in this story of his mercy. So if you have ever read the Old Testament and you've never seen God's grace, if you haven't read the Old Testament and seen God's grace spilled all over it, I am going to ask you to read it again. And then I'm going to say, read it again, and then again, and then again, and then again, until you see the God of the Bible as this merciful God who relentlessly chases after his people. If you want to see what the Old Testament, this is the Old Testament, ready? God gave his people life, they walked away. God gave them forgiveness, ooh, we're happy, they walked away. God gave them forgiveness, ooh, we're happy. Give us kings, yay, kings, all right, we're back again. Oh, we walked away. Oh, give us, give us prophets, oh, okay, okay. Oh, give us judges, oh, okay, we're back again, we walk away. He just, they just keep walking away, and God keeps coming back. They walk away, God comes back. They walk away, God comes, do you see, the, see it? You see what's happening? Are we any different? <laughs> we are no different. We... God comes to us, we respond to him by faith, and then for some reason something entices us and we walk away a little bit and then we remind, then God reminds us, oh, I'm more important than that. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true. You're more important than my money. Okay, good. All right, I'm back again. Yes, I'm excited to serve you. Let's do this thing called faith. All right, and then it's, oh wait, I really want that thing. So I'm gonna go over here and then God reminds us, oh yeah, 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 you're right, God, I forgot, I forgot all about that. Okay, good, good. That's one of the reasons why God actually asks us to never stop meeting together. The Bible asks us in this environment here that we should never, as the church, as the people of God who love Jesus, we are never to stop meeting together because sometimes we forget who God is. Sometimes we forget how merciful, how amazing, how gracious, how great he is, and that sometimes there's things in the world that are going to entice us and pull us away from him. So this is a great place for you to be because this is a place that God intends for you to hear from him in a way that will change your life. Because the world will have a way of taking us away from that. The world will have, the longer you're away, the more you settle in the way that you're living. The more you come here, the more you're shaped into the way that God wants you to live. Isn't that good? That's what God wants us to do. That's why you're here today. You're not here today to put on an act for God, to, sh- to say to God, look at what I did for you. You're here to hear from God so he can say, look what I did for you. That's good stuff. Because that's what we need to be reminded of because we fail at reminding ourselves because we are okay at times with the things that we're willing to settle for. Now, when it comes to grace, there are really two harmful responses that we're susceptible to. And I really want to look at these because I think that everyone in here is going to fall prey to one of these two responses. Because when you look at grace like this, when you look at grace that is so powerful and so um, deep and so uh, just... It's in your face and, and you, you can't get away from it. It's, 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 you can't domesticate. I love that idea. You can't domesticate it. It can't be a pet for you. It can't be a Christian buzzword. It can't just be the name of a church somewhere. It has to be something that is poured out from the church. It has to be something that we acknowledge is poured into the church. And so here are two harmful responses um, that we're susceptible to as it relates to grace. Number one, you view yourself from the lens of your crimes. You view yourself from the lens of your crimes. The most, danger, the most damaging aspect of the Jeffrey Dahmer story um, was, the, was the cry of cynicism, doubt, and anger by people um, uh, when his supposed salvation hit the media. Now, Roy Ratcliffe, the pastor that, that actually had the guts to walk into the prison to offer him the chance to be washed of his sins, was discouraged at the amount of people that confronted him about the experience. Now, these people weren't his family members. These people weren't family members of the victims um, of, of Jeffrey Dahmer. These people weren't the wardens and the uh, guards in the prison. They were Christ followers. There were Christians that would approach Ro- Pastor Roy and say, Pastor Roy, there is no way. There is no way that Jeffrey Dahmer really, really, really 
had a conversion experience. There's no, Pastor Roy, look at me. How do you really know? You know what Pastor Roy would say? He would say, do you even know who God is? Do we know the same God? Are, are we serving the same Savior? My Savior can save Jeffrey Dahmer. If yours can't, then you're not worshiping the same Savior that I'm worshiping. These, these people needed to understand that they needed the same amount of grace that Jeffrey Dahmer needed. As far as it seems to me, this is what I think. I think that some people, and I'm, gonna, I, I'm just going to be open, but some people are uncomfortable, even offended, to be expected to share heaven with such filth. Can you imagine? If, if the story is true, and he's really in heaven right now, we're going to see him again. <laughs> what? We're going to see Jeffrey Dahmer. Completely cleansed, completely renewed, completely redeemed. The fact is, is that Jeffrey Dahmer is actually going to see me too. That's the truth. The truth is, is that Jeffrey Dahmer is actually going to see me, a person who was also filthy, a person who was also in need of redemption, a person who was also committing crimes of treason against God. He's, they would ask him, Jeff, was Jeff's repentance truly sincere? And his answer was the same, yes, I am convinced it was sincere. Now let's face it, if someone says they want to roll with Jesus, if someone says, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm good, me and Jesus are good, but there's no change in their life, okay, we have something to go from. If they're living the same life they lived um, you know, before they were a Christian and then they're living the same, there's no change, all right, we might have some evidence. The problem is no one was asking about Dahmer's changed life, but it was solely focused on the evil he committed before his salvation, before he gave his life to Christ. Ratcliffe stated, Jeff was judged not by his faith, but by his crimes. And I'm going to be honest with you that many of you might today be focused way too much on your crimes and you can't focus on the cross. Your crimes are building a wall, a barrier between you and the love of God that is actually available to you. That your crimes, you believe, are so atrocious, are so heinous, that if we were to have a, a legitimate one-on-one -on -one conversation and you were to actually tell me the things that you have done and how much you've hurt people or, or how much there's a part of you inside that you could never let out because it's just too damaging, it's too painful, it's too hard to let on the outside because it's just, it's just part of you that you're unwilling to, to let go of, God, God would be able to, if, if God was to have that conversation with you, he would say, but that is so easy for me to get through. That is so easy for me to forgive. I send Jesus to the cross to forgive that. I would say that there are far too many of you in this room who are so focused on your crimes you can't see your Savior. You can't imagine being let off the hook so easily. The things you've done, the people you've hurt, and the damage you've caused is too great. Surely forgiveness isn't allotted to your kind. I've even heard people say jokingly, Oh, I'm so bad, there's a special room in hell for me. Do you know what's true? Jesus is making a special room in heaven for all of us. That's what's true. Can I be honest? If grace is available to a murdering, cannibalistic necrophiliac, it's available to you. In Christ, any evidence of your crimes. Listen, listen, if you're writing something down, if you ever write stuff down, this is what you should write down. In Christ, any evidence of your crimes no longer have a voice in the courtroom of God. Let me, write, let me say it again. In Christ, any evidence of your crimes no longer have a voice in the courtroom of God. 
He has crushed them under the weight of his gavel as he declares you justified, paid in full, and set free. So some of you are susceptible to looking at your crimes. Now the second group of you, you view yourself through the lens of your conduct, your good conduct. And that actually puts on a false sense of security, not based on the cross, but based on your behavior. To put it bluntly, you are the ones um, that would have thrown stones at Ratcliffe for suggesting such a disgusting display of humanity could be offered forgiveness, let alone given it. People aren't allowed to be let off the hook so easily. You're actually the voices that would bring evidence to other people's crimes into the courtroom of God, not realizing that he wouldn't listen to them if they're in Christ. Now, before you get all worked up, let me confess to you that I'm in that group. I'm part of you. I am somebody who would be much more susceptible to not, to, to not letting enough grace be bought to someone's life than, than too much. I'm one of those people that would probably want to see more fruit than I'm actually supposed to have to see. I'm somebody that just want, I, I'm some, I, that's just, you know, um, I'm just being open with you and vulnerable. That if there's, a, if there's a camp that I fit in, this is the one. God has to redeem my heart. God has to show me that I do not have the right or the audacity to question who he can and won't and would forgive. Friends, this is what we have to come to terms with. God confronted me about this tendency on my morning commute last, uh, last Friday. I was uh, sitting, sitting down looking at this, really mulling over, um, putting together the f- final stages of the message here. And I was so moved that I, I literally sat down, I started to read Hosea, and I was so moved by what God shared with me, I sent my wife a text. Um, and, this, I, I, and this is what I wrote. I'm just going to read you my text to my wife so you can see how, how much I needed to hear that this, because I'm in this camp. I wrote, I started thinking about who God is in, in the car during my drive this morning. And once again, I was reminded and overwhelmed with his grace. It hasn't happened in a long time, and it felt awesome. I was thinking about Hosea's wife being sold into, prostitu- into the prostitution slave market to a bunch of perverted guys solely lusting over what they could do with her to satisfy their depraved desires. The cost of 15 shekels and five bushels of barley is laughable. It was insulting. Basically, her, B- her BC pimps just want to get rid of her since women were sold for three to five times that amount in, the mar- in that market. Then Hosea shows up her husband, the one she left to live a life of promiscuity on purpose after he saved her from it. And he says, I'll take her. She's the one I want. Little did they know that, they would have paid, that he would have paid any price because she was stunningly beautiful to him. They could have retired off of this, retired off of this one sale. She wasn't a whore. She was his bride. I'm the whore. I'm the cheating bride that the Heavenly Father relentlessly chases after, and that is truly scandalous. God is, God's grace is offensive. It lets a cheating whore like me off the hook. Mind-blowing. Regardless of which response to grace you're susceptible to, there's only one action to take, and that action is surrender. Regardless of where you are right now, regardless of where you stand, if you're someone who says, my crimes are too great, you can surrender to the grace that God offers to you. If you're someone who says, if you're someone who's susceptible to, man, I don't know if I can give away that much, there's, the, people are going to get let off the hook. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what grace does. It lets you off the hook. Duh, <laughs> right? Like all of a sudden we have to have that duh moment. That's exactly what grace does. I want to read um, a verse to you. It's from 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20. Just to tie it all together. It says, for, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was 
You have the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but now in these days he has been revealed for your sake. Hosea bought his wife back with material goods. God bought us back with the blood of his son. That is good news for us today. That is fantastic news for us today. Stop fighting against the... That Stop fighting against the grace that God so desires to pour out on you. Stop making excuses of why you can't submit to it. Also, for some of you, you need to stop being so stingy and how lavish you are in giving it away. Stop making excuses of why you, don't, of why you shouldn't, of why someone doesn't deserve it. It's available, period. Now, here's the deal for those of you that look at your crimes. God isn't going to force it on you. It's up to you to accept it. Now what we're going to do is we're going to simply, I'm just going to play a song. The team isn't going to come up. We're just going to lower, lower the lights, play a song. I want you to hear the words of this song. And um, I want you to do something. I want you to take a risk and I want you to decide, is God speaking to your heart right now? If you're someone who says, you know what, I, I do look at my crimes too much. I do look at who I am and who I was too deeply and I don't allow God to make me into the person he desires me to be because I don't feel worthy. God made you worthy through Jesus. And you need to know it. You need to believe it. You need to own it for yourself. You need to believe it in your heart so that you can move out of the state of your depression that you might have because of your old life because God is ready to give you the new life. And if somebody in this room says, man, I am really susceptible to not pouring out grace the way I should. I, you know what? I am stingy with that. I am, I am very hard about that. Then I want, I want you to respond as well. I want just this place to be a place where we are coming to God in surrender and repentance and just asking God to forgive us and to move us forward. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is once, as this song plays, I'm just going to ask some of you to stand. As you feel led throughout the song, through the words, if it's, and we're going to leave the verse up so you can just keep being reminded that God has bought you back. I simply want you to stand. Um, now, some of you might be moved by, by God, but uncomfortable standing, but I believe it's crucial for you to make a public declaration of your decision to live differently today. And here's why. Number one, it helps, it invites, your, when you stand as a proclamation that God has changed your heart, you invite others to celebrate with you. You invite others, you invite us as the body of Christ to celebrate your transformed heart. There is nothing good about secret faith. There is, we are a people who need to be reminded that God is moving in your midst so that he can be, we can be reminded that he'll also move in ours. Uh, Luke 15.10 says this, There is joy in the presence of God angels when even one sinner repents. Heaven is going to celebrate your decision today. Can we join them? Number two, it invites others to cultivate your transformed life. As you begin to live differently from this moment on, this moment today is going to fade into, into the pages of history, um, and you'll need some people to stand by you. I think it takes uh, somebody who's serious about what they're about to do to make a public declaration that, you know what, today's different. Today I'm making a stand about my life, that I'm going to be different from this day forward. I might not be good at it all the time. I might even, be, I might even fail at it. But you know what? I'm making a decision today that I'm okay with those moments because the rest of my, I have the rest of my life to work this out. And there are going to need to be people around you that are going to have to help you through that. And none of those people will even know that they're being asked to do that if we remain secretive about the decisions that we make. So, they're going to have to remind you of the choice you made today when the journey seems really hard. Let the family of God help you move forward in your new life. If God moves you to surrender, there's no benefit in doing it in secret. So if you're making a decision today to live dif differently, please stand and declare it proudly. This could be you who have never responded to God 
Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you're sitting in this place and you've never once responded to God by faith. You've never once given your life to Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to implore you, beg you to come to the God who is calling you today. You have walked infinitely far from him, but he has followed you the whole way and he is ready to take you back right now. This could be you that have been walking with Jesus for a long time, but something has snuck into your heart and it's causing a little bit of dissension. It's causing a little bit of turmoil in your heart. Maybe, maybe um, at home, maybe here, maybe um, at work, maybe um, just within yourself, maybe just within yourself there's something that's going on that's causing you um, to just not be as, as passionate and as close to God as you would hope to be. I'm going to ask you to stand if you would declare today that God, again, has your heart. I'm going to read it again, the verse that's up there. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now, in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Let's play the song, and you guys, as you're ready, let's just stand and, and declare to God that we're, uh, we're going to take this for real.